What's up, everybody? Welcome to Four Yogs episode nine. On this week's show, we're going to be giving you an extensive breakdown on UFC 251 from Abu Dhabi. We're going to get into some of the storylines of the fight card and give you our picks. Sufian, we're back, brother. Back, man. I back. As the as the famous as the famous line from Anderson Silva, I back. I back, bro. <laughs> if it feels good to be on fight week, doesn't it? There's nothing better than these these big cards. The beginning of the week, the embedded start coming out. Feel those those familiar feelings coming back. I love it. Yeah, it's been it's been really good, man. And then the UFC's been quite consistent with you know, despite the fact that you know it, you know there's no um, fan filled arenas. The UFC has been really uh, quite consistent with their cards. Near enough every week, there's there's a, there's a fight card. But you're right, there's nothing quite like uh, a big pay per view event, and especially one with three title fights, which you rarely see. This one is looks really exciting, and I'm I'm really I'm really amped to break that down with you today. Absolutely, man. And, and before we get into the, the meat of the card, I just want to obviously uh, touch on a few things happening in the wider MMA world. Woke up to very sad news this morning that Khabib Nurmagomedov's father, uh, Abdul Manap Nurmagomedov, has passed away. He'd been in struggle with COVID-related symptoms for some time, and it seems as though, unfortunately, he's, he's lost his battle with the virus. That's causing suffering to so many people. The relationship between Khabib and his father is well-documented. Um, and he's been a staple in his his son's uh, development going back to childhood. He was his first coach. And um, thoughts go out to the Khabib and his family. So do you, do you foresee this affecting Khabib's desire to come back to the sport? I mean, that's that's, a, that's an excellent question. I mean, yeah, first, yeah, I echo that. Echo that. <clears throat> My thoughts and condolences to, to Khabib and his family for their loss. It's also a loss for mixed martial arts as well as a whole because many t- people today consider Khabib made off to be the best one of the best fighters to ever lace up and step inside the octagon and he is he will himself attest to being a product uh directly of his of his father's making well obviously yes he's his father's son but he's his uh but he you know trained him up put them in there in a the ring with with bears as well and all and all sorts um, and created this absolute monster that that's Khabib Namagomedov. yeah it's uh Khabib has already kind of hinted at potentially retiring from the sport or not having uh, many fights left uh, on the horizon. Um, and you do wonder something like this, uh, where so much of your motivations came out of, you know, I'm, tr- I'm sure a lot of his, you know, who's really to make his father proud is probably, a, you know, a big thing for him. Um, so with that now gone, or, you know, not necessarily in a, you know, it could necessarily be in a sort of metaphorical sense, but you do wonder how that might affect his motivations going forward to step back in there and defend his title. Absolutely. And, you know, at a time like this, I know the last thing on Khabib's mind will be fighting. So I don't want to, I don't want to push it to the forefront as the most important thing to come out of this. So I hope he takes the necessary time to grieve and get over this loss and whatever happens with his career going forward. I hope he can bounce back. We came off um, a couple of weeks, a couple of cards that we didn't really delve into too much, right? We, we spoke about 250 and that was that was great. Uh, but there's a couple of cards that we didn't really get into too much on the show. I mean, last weekend we saw Fight of the Year contender. Uh, one Dan Hooker took on Dustin Poirier in a five-round main event at 155. And um, I mean, it had social media a buzz, didn't it, Suf? Yeah, that fight was a spectacular show of... of um determination and grit from from both from both guys that second round was so back and forth it was absolutely crazy uh dan hooker and dustin poirier left absolutely everything in there it it was again a testament to why the lightweight division is the most well i think he is quite clearly this most talent stacked division not only in the ufc but in 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 all organizations it's uh very talent rich the guys from one to ten any any number of them could be a potential champion yeah it was a fantastic fight fantastic fight so a few things for me on that fight right first of all uh, Dustin Poirier is such a, an interesting figure in the sport. Back earlier in his career, on his rise up the ranks to 145, he took a couple setbacks, the McGregor fight, the, the Michael Johnson fight, and it seemed like maybe he was going to be striving for something that he couldn't attain. In the last five years, in the last four four or five years, he has become a fan favorite with his fight style. You know, big fights against Alvarez, Gaethje, obviously the title shot against uh, Khabib. I can't put my finger on what he does well, Suf, right? Because he, he's got good boxing, but he also gets hit. He's got good wrestling, but he can also be taken down right by people who are not as credentialed you know for example dan hooker who's not a credentialed wrestler for example right and i was thinking about i was thinking about the max holloway fight i was thinking about this fight and and what he possesses 
is this grit and this ability to withstand more than the other man. When he hits people, he's not he's not knocking them out in one punch, but it's the damage that his his punches take that other fighters don't have. It's, it's a weird sort of power. You saw it against Max, you saw it against Dan Hooker, and you saw it against Gage. It's like this sort of, you see their, their, their health bar taken, being chipped away every time, right? Poirier's got a strange, strange stopping power to his his punches right he might not be knocking his opponents out but he he slows them down he cuts them up he bruises them up and he damages them and i feel like that combined with his ability to withstand is just what's getting him through a lot of these these fights at this point in his career yeah i mean my thoughts on uh, both of them so i mean dan hooker um firstly i mean he's he walks away from from the fight obviously not not winning he he had really good success i'd say in the first three rounds and then it kind of started to fade and as you Point pointed out quite rightly, um, Dustin Poirier was, you know, the more the athlete ha- that has has shown more grit and potential to to sort of walk through punishment and and survive in those later championship rounds. But Dan Hooker, Dan Hooker definitely showed that he he deserves a seat at the big boy table. Looked very impressive early on. He's still young in his career, and although he has taken the la- his last two fights, he's taken a tremendous amount of punishment. So. I would like to see him to kind of like take a bit of a respite, um, develop, and then you know maybe maybe again challenge again for that sort of top five top five slot. Dustin Poirier, I I agree with you, but I have seen a lot of like Dustin Poirier has developed a lot since he kind of he reminds me of the the Michael Bisping of the lightweight division because again Michael Bisping obviously achieved championship success and he held the actual you know the full med- middleweight title which Dustin Poirier has only held the interim title but it's this he has this uh grit and he's he does everything well you know he did, he's, not, he's not he doesn't have any glaring weaknesses much like Michael Bisping Michael Bisping was a very you know very workman like style um, Dustin Poirier I think is a bit slicker but and but yeah he he has wins over former champions and he has wins over title contenders as well so I think he's right there um, I think Khabib is just a terrible matchup for anybody at that division um, and losing to the people that he's lost to um, in the lightweight division is that there's absolutely no shame in it so yeah I mean that's what that's what, that's what I'd think I mean I would love to see now Dustin Poirier fight Tony Ferguson I think that fight makes all the sense in the world that should be his next fight absolutely and I think I think that will show a lot about where Tony Ferguson is in his career. And if he, if Dustin Poirier is able to defeat Tony Ferguson, you know, similarly into the way he he beat Hooker, I mean, that would, that would definitely, uh, that would make me excited enough to see him again challenge for a belt. Definitely, definitely. I, I think that the landscape at 155 is such that, that there's so many potential great matchups, right? And I mean, with Connor in the mix as well, Tony, yeah. I would love to see Dustin take on Tony. That that is one for the fans, and I feel like the winner of that would almost certainly be right back in contention for a title shot. <clears throat> Off the back of that, right, the social media, like I said, was a buzz about the fight. Uh, a lot of people called it fight of the year uh, candidate. A lot of people saying it was fight of the year. Um, so if, I'll be honest with you, right? I thought it was a great fight for me. Wei Li Zhang versus Joanna at the start of the year before COVID was the fight of the year for me so far. I loved that fight. And my reason for that is I felt that at parts, the Hooker Poirier fight just got a little bit, uh, a little bit too scrappy, a little bit too uh, wild, right? I felt like the the aforementioned strawweight title fight had it remained composed, and it remained sort of um, clinical the whole way through, mm-hmm. and I felt like it also had the exciting elements to it too. So, no, I, I completely agree with you. I think. I think yeah, this was a this was a contender, and you know a lot of people are calling this the fight of the, fight of the year already. Um, already, you know, we've had such crazy fights this year, and it's uh, we're only halfway, just over halfway through the year. I still put Wei Li Zhang and and Yuan Yan Jacek as as the number one fight of the year pick so far, only be- well because firstly, yeah, it was absolutely sensational fight. Both women were able to put were you know put their everything on the line up until the final buzzer that that fight was competitive up until round end of round five yeah. uh which is something i don't think the poirier and hooker fight had it kind of started to fade a bit for hooker there towards you know rounds four and five you know i think poirier kind of led led the way with that and Joanna Janjajic i mean her head her face she didn't even look human anymore she put herself through absolute destruction in order to hear the final buzzer and for that I, that, that that for me that's still fight that's fight of the year uh, until something absolutely insane is going to have to happen in order for, for for that to be topped all right so at the start of the coronavirus pandemic uh dana white was very uh, defiant about 
the idea of getting back to action for the sport, right? Mm. And very early on, he floated the idea of um, a fight island, right? Fly Buying, island, island, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the chin started wagging. People were talking, is this real? Is it not real? Where is it going to be? And some four months later, we have now got what is, in essence, fight island, right? And it's not in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, but it is Yas Island in Abu Dhabi, which I'm not mad at. You know, at the end of the day, it took a lot to get that done. And as long as the fighters can fight safely, I don't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so from what I understand, they're going to be doing four cards out there. Yeah, that, that's my understanding as well. Yeah, I think so. So so after all of that discussion and that back and forth, it's finally happening. And, I'm, you know, I'm, they're, they're starting this run of, of Abu Dhabi fight cards off with an absolute bang. Three title fights. And yeah, 251 is looking stacked. You know, so I was looking at the card and, and it's weird. I, I got a strange sense of deja vu. And I think the reason is, if you look at the card, it's interesting, right? The last time we saw Usman, the last time we saw Aldo, the last time we saw Holloway, Volkanovski and Peter Yan, they were all on the same card, 245 in December. So these fighters all fought on the same card last time out, which I thought was quite interesting. It creates a bit of an interesting dynamic. No, 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 I agree. Yeah, I mean, that is that is, a, that is definitely something worthy of note. The fact that a lot of them, apart from, from memory, would be Gilbert Burns. Uh, yeah. There would have been a similar sort of time timeline where they've last last fought. So yeah, mm. um, Gilbert Burns has been a bit more active one out of the, out of those bunch out of the bunch in the main events. So yeah, they're, they're leading off with three title fights. Of so so the incentive for doing this card in, in Abu Dhabi was to give non US based fighters the opportunity to fight, right? Because obviously due to border restrictions, a lot of fighters couldn't travel. So this is a great way for those fighters to fight outside of the US. And yeah, so you know. Starting from the main card, we're going to start at the bottom. Uh, Amanda Page Van Zandt. You know, this is an interesting one, right? So because I think Paige Van Zandt is a divisive character in the sport. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people love her. A lot of people hate on her. Um, I think that'd be fair to say, right? Yeah, she's she's she she was a bit of the sort of early on. She was a bit of a UFC sweetheart. Um, everyone kind of loved her and and was you know wishing her success. But I think as she started to garner a bit more of that notoriety and and all that, it's kind of changed a little bit. Um, I think her, her some of her comments recently about you know fighter pay and how much money she gets uh, outside of the UFC for appearances and stuff like that. It's just she's talking about fighting in a very I'm not, I'm not entirely sure no i don't want to say grateful because you know i'm sure she's worth it she's almost certainly worth a lot more money than she's currently being compensated i think we can all agree on that but at the same time she wouldn't have had the success or the opportunities that she's been given if not for uh the exposure that the ufc gave her so it's um it's it's an interesting one i think a lot of the a lot of the story around uh page franzan recently has been she, you know free agency and uh her wanting to test test the market and, and get what she's what she's worth yeah i'd agree i mean it's always difficult when a fighter is perceived to be pushed more than they deserve right and you know i think we saw that with page we saw that with sage north uh, uh, similarly and it tends to lead to a lot of uh, like amongst the fan base and you know for Paige Van Zandt as as a I guess conventionally attractive female there's always going to be those those questions and those those remarks you know going into free agency I love it I think I'll always advocate for that in in any industry right you know the 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 employee's ability to choose where they work is important and it's good for competition it seems almost certain that she's going to leave the UFC at this point right yeah I think I think the relationship with her and the UFC brass is is well documented in that it's not very good and yeah i think tensions are high she doesn't feel like she's been given what she's she's valued and i think somewhere like bellator scott coker he's going to absolutely snap at the opportunity to get uh, a young star with a lot of potential like Paige van zandt that he can push in the right way because like you said mentioned earlier she was she was kind of fast-tracked and one thing that bellator are really good at doing is building up a star um, and giving them the the right matchups in order to build that star. Um, UFC, obviously, Aaron a bigger... Aaron <laughs> Pico. That was a bit... <laughs> the, wheels, the, wheels, the wheels fell off on that one. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, you know, I'd say for the most part, they're, they're very good at it. <laughs> but Aaron Pico kind of... Well, I think he's, he's, he seems to, be, seems to be on the right track um, now. For what it's worth, sir, for what it's worth, sorry, I wasn't a jab at him. I... I, yeah, no, no. I Big Aaron Pico fan. I think he's got a huge upside. But I just thought some of the matchups they gave him, maybe, I mean, who could have foreseen some of the defeats he had? But yeah, anyway, sidebar. Yeah, no. Wasn't it for <laughs> Aaron Pico? No, 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 you're right. You know, for the most part, I would say the, the, the Bellator promotional machine are a bit better at um, sort of 
pushing stars and giving them the right matchups. When in the UFC, because it's so talent rich, very quickly, it's almost they don't have necessarily, because it's such a big machine, they don't necessarily have the time to um, slowly uh, engineer a pathway for a fighter in order to achieve success. And before you know it, they're in the top 10 and it's full of killers. Whereas in Bellator, you can kind of get away with um, fighting a few tomato cans um, and then slowly working your way up. So yeah, I think someone like Paige Fentant might actually benefit from from a move to another agency like Bellator or One or something like that. All of that to say, she's been faced off against uh, Amanda Hebus, who is a up and coming female fighter. She's three and zero in the UFC. Who's who's all you know also has has an upside to herself, right? I mean, she's down to scrap. She's she is. She's done. She's she's about business. When she gets in there, she's AB, about business. <laughs> Shout out Adrian yeah, she she yeah exactly. Yeah, she she. I've watched some of her fights earlier this week, and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, her fight with Dern. She's absolutely yeah, just very vicious and very nasty. I think yeah. I think is what, what what I'm noticing. She's quite nasty with some of the techniques that she uses. I agree. Um, uh, which I which I which I like. I like to see. But when I see female fighters with that that edge, I like them more, right? Because I think sometimes you know, if there is one criticism to be leveled at women's MMA, not by me, but some some people who are haters, they would say that there's not enough finishes. There's not enough um, of the the sort of just bleed mentality almost yeah yeah. um but but when you see a female fighter who has that venom yes that venom uh it's a bit of an eye-opener and if there's one thing that kind of strikes me about this matchup is that Paige Van Zandt being where she's at in her career making the transition out of the UFC and maybe one one foot already out the door of fighting well so I was actually gonna say she's not someone who's known for being resilient but actually Paige is is a tough cookie man I think yeah yeah. yeah, no, yeah, I was gonna say she is, man. Like her fight with Rose Namajunas, that sticks out in my head as as uh, she was in like I can't remember how many submission attempts that Rose yeah. had before she finally got the choke. Yeah, she was in all sorts. She was in arm bars, chokes. Her face was all bloody. Um, and and she's a few times she's been kind of she's had to kind of come round the back. I remember her UFC debut against Kylie Curran. That was a really that was a really tough fight, and but but she managed to like you know come back. Even most recently, a fight with uh, Rachel Ostovich. Mm-hmm. Uh, that first round, she's been completely dominated, um, and then she comes back quickly—a turn of a turn of a, you know, just a quick sweep um, into a no, sorry, a quick reversal into a back take and ended, ended the fight. Um, so yeah, I think I think it would be unfair to characterize this as like a as a as like um a kind of nasty fight against someone who's you know prim and proper and she's you know she's she's thinks a lot highly of herself and she's not not necessarily willing to put herself in harm's way i think mm. you know Paige van Zandt is down to scrap as well um but i do wonder about her motivations at, at the moment that's that that's the only thing i would i would maybe maybe suggest but don't get don't get it twisted she's 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 a b as as you say about business as well <laughs> She fought with a broken arm as well. I'm trying to remember which which fight that was, but she uh, broke her arm during the fight, didn't she? Yeah, against the was it not Australian? What was her name? Beck Rawlins, Rowdy Bick. No, no it wasn't Beck Rawlins. It was another woman. Um, Jessica Rose Clark. Jessica Rose Clark. That's it. Jessica Rose yeah. Clark. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah, definitely. She 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 can take punishment and she can she can hang on in there and she can survive when she's hurt and she'll she'll put herself you know she's not she's no there's no quit in her that might be to her detriment against someone like Rahibas who like I said does like to get. Uh, down and dirty. Yeah, so Amanda Hebas, you know, is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, judo black belt. Uh, she's fought Mackenzie Dern, who is the best submission grappler in women's MMA. I would say mm-hmm. pretty much easily, easily, yeah, easily. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she, you know, she she really had no problems hanging on, you know, in the grappling uh, department, which doesn't bode well for Paige, right? Because I think Paige got a couple submission wins, and, and I mean that might be her the what she might normally try to do. I think this is a this is a great opportunity for her, right? She's fighting someone with a huge reputation in the UFC, and I think we're going to see Amanda Hebas come out and really try to seize and capitalize on that opportunity. Uh, huge pay per view card, huge opponent, and I just think that she's gonna it's going to be a real coming out party for her. Is that your pick, then? Yeah, is that your pick? Is that your pick, Amanda Hebas? Yeah. Oh well, if you want to get into picks, if you want to if you want to get into picks now, then we can. I mean, no, I got a lot of riding on this. I have got my re- reputation. You're you're like a few. Well, I say a few. You're quite a few points up. <laughs> so I need to get that. I need to get that spot back, that number one spot. 
You do, man. And that's, I, I, I didn't want to say anything, but I do feel like some of the reasons why we didn't do a breakdown card was because you were still reading from defeat. I think you had to take time out to emotionally recover from the embarrassing defeat. No, no I've been in a lab. That's where I've been. I've been in a lab. <laughs> so, yeah. So, what is, so, what is it? You reckon Hebas? I, I do, Sophie. And I think uh, Amanda Hebas is going to come out and I actually think she's going to obliterate Paige Van Zandt. I think this is one of those, those, those situations where, you know, one fighter's sort of got an eye out of the door or a foot out of the door and that's never a good place to be and I think because Amanda Hebas is is on the rise in her career and trying to make a name for herself it's clever match bacon by the UFC I think she's going to go out there and I think she's going to blow Paige Van Zandt away I think she's going to win by TKO in the second round yeah I mean I agree with you um I think Amanda Hebas is going to walk away with the win I think she's you know kind of question Paige Van Zandt's you know where she is in her career um so yeah, I've got Amanda Hebas by win. I'm gonna say by yeah, I'm gonna say by TKO third round. Nice, nice. Okay, so I see you're uh, you're really pushing the boat out there on the picks of. <laughs> uh, cool. Okay, so next up we have another female bout, uh, and this is actually a rematch that was previously a championship fight, uh, and that is Rose Namajunas and Jessica Andrade. Two, so um, this fight's super interesting. As I said, first fight was for the title. Jessica Andrade won the title and got absolutely murked by Zhang Wei Li. And this is her next fight. So Rose hasn't fought anybody since that fight with Jessica Andrade because she kind of had a, I guess you can call it a bit of a sabbatical. She's she was dealing with some, um, some I think two of her family members had actually passed away due to due to COVID, and she True. was kind of and she was dealing with um, some kind of reservations about fighting or not not really you know understanding if not really knowing if her heart was in it anymore or she had the right motivations. Uh, since then, she's she's found those motivations and she wanted to fight Jessica Andrade um, for the rematch. The first fight, I mean, if you haven't watched it, I'm sure it's available on YouTube, ended in a... I mean, Rose was kind of dominating, I was quite fair to say. She was kind of dominating the fight up until when she wasn't, when she was unconscious. Um, so so she, she, you know, she goes for, goes for, I think this happened actually in the first round as well. So she was mm-hmm. kind of semi-slammed by Andrade, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, Michael Goldberg is always says, her nickname is the pile driver. Did you always used to call her? But he was, I think that name is very apt uh, because yeah, she absolutely pile drived Rose Namajunas into the UFC canvas and sent her into oblivion um, and, and took the UFC title as well. Uh, so uh, this is a rematch. You obviously, Lewis, you, you mentioned to me that you're a bit of, you were a bit of a, um, I guess, a, a clairvoyant and you, you saw that, you know, being the result. And I wonder what's your kind of take on the rematch? How do you see it going? You know, for me, Andrade was one of those fighters that I'd always kind of watched uh, and enjoyed her sort of the aggression that she put forth in the fight. And, you know, I will post this on the on the Instagram page. I did call the first fight ending by uh, TKO Slam. I don't want any credit for it, but, you know. Some, but, likes, but yeah. some likes would be all right, though. Some 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 likes and shares, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but no, seriously, um, the ending to the last fight was absolutely emphatic. Uh, but I actually think you're under, underselling how dominant Rose looked in that first round. And I, and I sometimes I hate it when like you know a fighter looks good in the first round they end up losing the fight I was like oh they look great in the first she looked phenomenal so right she crazy she was she, she was piecing her up yeah she was piecing Andrade up easily she really was she really was and and what what Rose did in that first round highlighted all of the shortcomings that I see of Andrade right um, I I think Andrade has a lot of technical deficiencies right and it, it and like you know again I I don't want to sound like an asshole. Uh, who am I to say that this elite fighter has technical deficiencies, used her body type to her advantage in her fights. The problem with Andrade is that closing the distance is very difficult for her, right? Uh, she'll drop her head, she'll charge forward, and she'll swing looping shots to try and get inside. And I mean, it has worked for her. We've seen her with absolute one-punch KO power. She slept uh, Karolina Kowalkovic. Oh, yeah. Um, Nasty you know, one. Absolutely ended her, right? But, but that required a static opponent. That required someone to stand there and, and not you know, cut angles and not move. What we saw against Joanna Janjacek and uh, the first round against Rose, if an opponent is cutting angles and, and, and using footwork and sticking the movement with the jab, she doesn't really have the, the capacity to deal with that. She'll take a lot of shots. Even just to get inside, she's going to take a lot of shots, right? So that was the first thing that struck me. That first fight, 
uh, those deficiencies all came out. Now, of course, Andrade likes to get in close, likes to throw big shots, and also likes to get a hold of her opponent and 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 slam. You know, she uses the slam. Like I said, her nickname is the power driver. That's a part of her game. But that requires Andrade to back her opponent up to the cage, right? It requires them to her to back them up behind the black lines, get them to the cage, right? And mm-hmm. I think Rose fell victim to that in the first round, but she, you know, used the Kimura uh, trap to kind of avoid getting too badly hurt. And in the second round, she she wasn't able to, and you know, she got put to sleep. I think if Rose can avoid that this time, avoid getting backed up to the cage, um, and just stick to the game that she she brought in the first fight, I, I don't I don't see Rose losing the fight, especially over three rounds when you know she can exert more energy uh, with her footwork, more energy for her movement, and 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 stay fresh throughout the fight. So if I don't know if you what you know you mentioned the uh, Andrade's fight against Wei Li Zhang, a huge hole in Andrade's game is her posture. Right, like I said, she comes forward, she she drops her head, right? But what happens is she's so susceptible to the clinch because of that. And if you saw the Wei Zhang fight, uh, I think the beginning of the end, I mean it was a 40-second fight essentially, but it was a it was a clinch from the knee. Mm-hmm. She ate, right? And also in the first fight between these two, uh Rose dropped her with a clinch knee as well. Mm-hmm. Right. It was mm-hmm. in transition. Huge hole in Andrade's game, and, and she hasn't addressed it. She hasn't addressed that. That she she brings she drops her head and against someone who can with, with more range on her, who can use the tie clinch pull that head down and land the knees to the body in the head. I, I just see that being, again, more of the same. I know I'm going on a, on a bit of a rant here, uh, but I'm so excited about this fight because what I saw from Rose in the first round, I was, I was honestly, I was so impressed by what she was doing. Mm-hmm. And I actually felt like we got robbed almost of, of, of a really interesting fight, the way it ended. And I'm not trying to take away, anything away from Andrade. Yeah, so if, before we get to our picks... Give me your input. Give me your input on this fight. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you're right. I think I, I did kind of undersell how dominant she was in that fight. She, I mean, Rose Namajunas looked absolutely phenomenal in that first round. She came out, she had, she kind of, she followed the game plan that was laid out by Joanna Janjacek in her first fight with um, Andrade, which was stick and move, um, straight strikes down the middle, up the middle, um, and that's what that's what's going to give Andrade problem. Excellent footwork, keeping making sure you keep in range, um, and and Rose seemed to be doing that to a T. She she you know the the Kimura trap is a, a powerful powerful weapon, and that was kind of um, shown in in the first round of that fight. I mean Andrade basically you know went, uh, went for the slam from the Kimura trap. And Rose was able to maneuver her body in order to kind of make sure that her hips and her feet were the first thing that impacted on the mat uh, and not her brain. So, um, and then, and then, and then straight away, what happens? She goes straight into an armbar, mm-hmm. and 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 Andrade was kind of like in a bit of trouble there. And I think Andrade did. A, you know, I want to give her a bit of credit because on the second attempt, she had her head. On the first attempt, she had her head on the inside. And then on the second attempt, she had she removed her head and put it on the outside, so she was able to maneuver Rose much more easier and slam her straight away and not give her a chance to kind of uh, move her body and adjust her body. So that was an excellent, excellent uh, adjustment by Andrade, and I want to give her credit for that. However, I think Rose, as long as she can avoid that and not hold on to submissions where you know she knows that obviously there's a threat there now, um, I think. Yeah, I think like you, I see, I see her coming back. She says she's found a new motivation for the sport, and I think she'll come back and and uh, and definitely show that. Because you're right, that first round, that first you know moments of that of that fight, she looked like an animal. Oh, when I saw that, I was like, who's going to stop this girl? Like she she looked phenomenal. Um, she was doing everything right again under the tutelage of Trevor Whitman, who's a who's a who's a genius, um, and. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm. That's the thing. It's one of these weird fights because Rose was, <laughs> she was doing everything right. You know, she wasn't actually doing anything wrong. It wasn't like she could point to things that she was doing wrong in the fight. Like, oh, I could have been doing this. Oh, I could have been doing that. I'm sure there are things that you know she can, you know, in terms of her footwork to avoid the kind of clinch situations. If if that's what she really wants to do, like to completely no sell it. You know, looking at the fight. It was pretty much perfect until until the until the slam. Um, so yeah, that's my input. I'm really excited for this fight. This is this is a great this is a great. And you're right with the three rounds as well. I wonder how that's going to impact impact the fight as well. Yeah, I mean Andrade isn't known for her endurance, so she's definitely a power athlete. Um, and I think we've seen Rose go five rounds comfortably against JJ in, in high 
intensity fights. So yeah, I am ready to make my uh, my bold picks on this fight. Do you want to go first this time? Oh uh, yeah, okay, I'll go first. Um, you go, I, you go, you go. Okay, uh, for me, I'm having a hard time deciding whether or not Rose is going to be able to finish Andrade. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Rose defeats Andrade by second round TKO. Wow. Took my pick. You took my pick. <laughs> they took our picks. Take taking my breakdown into account and the holes that I see in, in Andrade's game. Um, I expect Nama Yunus to get back to what she did in the first fight, start inflicting damage with the jab early on. I see Andrade getting desperate as the fight goes on um, and those defensive frailties to really come out. So I'm going to go for Rose Nama Yunus by third round KOTKO. I expect the knees to play a big part in this. And I think the f- punch that finishes is going to be a left hook. The same one she dropped, wrote, the same one she dropped JJ with. How about that? Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, the, the left the left hook was definitely something she was working in the first fight. So yeah, I see that. I see that being a big weapon for her um, as well. Okay, awesome pick. Okay, cool. Nice. Next up is a very intriguing matchup between Piotr Jan and Jose Aldo. Uh, this fight is for the vacant bantamweight title, which was recently vacated by one Henry Cejudo um, and has obviously left a void at the top of the division. Now, the fact that this fight has even taken place is a little controversial as, you know, Aldo, you know, as much of a legend as he was at 145, he's come down to 135 and, you know, he lost the, his debut against uh, Marlon Moraes. Um, he was still given a title shot, which, you know, had weights up the wrong way. Um, but... The hype behind Piotr Jan is pretty incredible, right? Um, he has kind of taken the, the 145 division by storm. He's 6-0 in the UFC. Uh, his most recent fight was a knockout over Uriah Fable. He looked incredible, mm-hmm. right? Going into this fight, it's hard to know where Aldo is, right? We've seen he's lost five of his last eight fights. and it, I mean, obviously, he's fighting great competition, but it's hard to know where he is at in his career, especially at a new weight cast. Conversely, Peter Yarn is, is kind of the, the hot new young thing in the division um, and has showed some excellent uh, boxing credentials, especially. Sufian, how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, so kind of controversial this matchup i mean Peter, no, i think no one could really argue for peter young having the title for uh, title fight but then again as you say old aldo um he did lose against marlon Moraes, although it was a very controversial decision a lot of people thought that uh, actually uh, he won that fight um but he didn't so if giving him a title fight off the back of a loss is 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 a bit you know obviously controversial however this fight is really intriguing to me. Uh, when I look at Jose Aldo and the way he looked in that Marlon Moraes fight, he Marlon Moraes, who's who's one of the bigger bantamweights, uh, he absolutely Aldo was walking him down, you know, pressuring him. It was it was it was crazy to see kind of free free round Aldo, who was like blasting him with 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 his excellent boxing techniques and 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 picking picking Marlon apart and he had he had really good cardio as well um he started off slow but then he kind of picked up in in rounds two and three which was a really good sign for Peter Yan like you say I mean everyone's hot on him um and I think with good reason but at the same time I look at his I look at who he's fought and his last three fights John Dodson Jimmy Rivera and Uriah Faber now I think the Jimmy Rivera fight it was a very close fight, and actually it was it was a unanimous decision. But actually, Jimmy Jimmy Rivera outlanded Peter Yan uh, in that fight, which is which is which is interesting. I think even that was quite a controversial decision to some people. And his fight with Uriah Faber, yeah, of course, like he absolutely he he smoked Uriah Faber with a head kick or out of a clinch, and he looked phenomenal in that fight. I think what Piotr Yan, what he does really well is he is a pressure fighter. But he puts pressure in a way that he doesn't really do a lot. Like he, he's he's very front heavy on his lead foot. He, he's got high guard, and he slowly, slowly moves towards the opponent. And the opponent kind of faints and kind of trying to figure out his opponent. But he doesn't actually do a lot. Um, which kind of and he kind of draws out the attacks of the of the opponent. And 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 that kind of like you saw that in the in the early on with the Uriah Faber fight. Uriah Faber was didn't know what to do. He was just giving these big, big tells, like big reads 
to Peter Yan, it was like if there was a little feint or a little feint of a kick, you know, Uriah would be, you know, ducking his head, moving his head. He was, you know, really, really jittery and, and had a lot of nervous energy. And I think Peter Yan kind of does that with his style. He's very good at edging forward and 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 and, and counter fighting. He's a bit of a headhunter. Um, the, the vast majority of his strikes are, 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 you know, for the head. And I think Aldo is slightly a bit more mixed in terms of his body head attack. Also, as well, one thing that I would really have liked to have seen in Aldo's last fight was for him to go back to the leg because there's been a lot of conspiracy theories out there as to why Aldo's kind of moved away from that leg kick heavy game. A lot of people have speculated that it's perhaps an injury that he has or that he's kind of um, changed his style up, he's fallen in love with his hands a bit and he's kind of moved away from, from the, from the kicking game but I think that would be something that would benefit Aldo quite a lot in this matchup because of how um Peter Yan's actually quite he leads quite heavy on that lead leg but um but yeah I mean the fight for me is fantastic I'm 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 really looking forward to to for when these two uh get in there and touch gloves yeah I love the breakdown Sophie and very intelligent very uh well-informed analysis of this matchup when there's a fighter that comes into the UFC who goes on a on a, on a win streak and you start seeing four five and oh six and oh it's very easy to get swept up in that. And what I have to remind people is look at who they fought. The reason you didn't hear about them when they were 3-0 is because they were fighting people you'd never heard of. Sometimes fighters fly under the radar because of that. With, with Peter Young, I do look at his record. I do look at his fought. It's hard to know, you know the people he's fighting. Uri Faber at 40 years old, is he the best matchup possible? Is, is John Dodson, who's, who's notoriously a, a up-and-down fighter, um, I, the Rivera fight, I, I think uh, Jan was a bit more dominant than than you're selling it, but I, but I agree it wasn't. You know, Rivera's you know up there, top top six in the division. I'm one of those people who might have got swept up in the Peter Jan hype, right? There's something about him; he's got an air of invincibility because if he he's got that. You know, he, his English isn't great, but when he does speak, he's very sarcastic. He's he talks shit during fights. He's got a sort of swagger about him, which is very likable. Mm. Um, and conversely, I think. Aldo is someone who I've come to almost discount mm. um, unnecessarily. You look at Aldo's record, like I said, f uh, lost five of his last eight. Well, you know, okay, he lost to Conor McGregor, he lost to Max Holloway twice. Uh, he lost to Volkanovski, all champions. And then the Marais fight, well, you know, okay, it was controversial, whatever. But, but you know, he's fighting the elite competition. And, and you know, when, he, when he's taken a step down uh, to fight Stevens and to fight... Um, Moicano. Starching him. He's starching him. Starching him. <laughs> And you say fell in love with the hands, yeah. but the body shots that man was throwing in those fights. So, so I, I say all of that to say that I think maybe I've, I've, I'm guilty of doing what a lot of people have done, and that is rule Aldo out prematurely. Yeah. I, I do think he's got a lot left in his career. I, I'm skeptical of 135 because whenever you see a fighter go down in ways, you know, towards the tail end of their career, you, you start to think this is this is like you know a big risk or can their body do it. But he made the way he made three rounds against Marais. The absence of Jose Aldo's leg kicks is is like you know a, a long fabled thing in, in MMA at this point, right? When when is he bringing it back? When's he doing it? You know, we saw what he did to I think in the Mendez fight and the Uriah Faber fights. He absolutely obliterated that lead leg with the, the kicks, right? Mm -hmm. It's so important to remember that he has that in his arsenal. Now, what you said about Peter Yan and his his kind of boxing centric style being having the lead leg, totally agree. This would be the perfect opportunity for those Aldo leg kicks to come back. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, it'd be a great game plan to to help slow that movement and and to really chew up that front leg. So so when this matchup was made, I was like, yeah, of course, Peter Young's going to win, mm. right? And I think that's me getting swept up in the hype. Thinking more intelligently about the fight and thinking about the matchup and the credentials of each fighter, you know, I've started to see it differently. And it's a five round fight. Piotr Yan hasn't gone five rounds. Aldo has done nothing but go five rounds mm -hmm. or be in five round fights. He's intelligent. He knows the game. He knows how to find ways to win. So I say all that to say... What's your pick, big boy? Sign the contract. I'm, I'm ready to go out on a limb, stuff. I think this one goes the distance. And I think we see a situation where Jan's going to come out aggressively. And I think Aldo is going to chip away at that confidence through the middle rounds. I think he's going to slow... I think he's going to slow Jan's movement. And I think we're going to see a more reluctant uh, Jan as the fight goes on. I think it's going to go five rounds. I think Aldo is going to edge him by decision and I think we're going to crazily enough be saying that Jose Aldo is a new bantamweight champion <laughs> I don't we seem to be agreeing a lot on these matchups which is quite interesting um you're fucking smart <laughs> you're right I think I think a lot of people kind of poo-pooed uh Jose Aldo's uh chances of uh, at a bantamweight title 
particularly when it was first announced that he potentially was going to be fighting Henry Cejudo. A lot of people were like, that's that's just not a good idea. But his kind of how he how he looked against Marlon Moraes has given me a lot of a lot of um, a lot of promise. And I think he'd actually do quite well. And people forget Jose Aldo's thirty three years old. I know he's oh, I know man. I know I know he's like a hundred years old in in fight years, but in in in, in real years he's only thirty three. And again, Peter Yan is twenty seven. Obviously, he's a bit bit more of a spring chicken, um, and then fresh blood in the division. But it's interesting. I, I for me, my pick. I agree with you. I think the power is going to be a bit too much for Peter Yan from Jose Aldo, who hits like an absolute Mack truck at the bantamweight division. And I think Peter Yan's going to try his normal game of kind of you know waiting on the outside, you know, trying to force some movement out of Aldo. I think what he's going to like coming out of the of the back of that with some of the power that Aldo is able that you know has in his hands, I don't think he's going to like it, and I think that's going to make him a bit cautious as the fight goes on. So my pick is a Jose Aldo to win. You know, I don't want to I don't want to appear to be a copycat, but I think he's going to win a decision as well. What, what round? <laughs> <laughs> a decision in round yeah. one. <laughs> round one decision. One decision. No. Uh, I like it. So if I like it, I think we're aligned um, because we see we see these things. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree, man. Uh, it's it's interesting what you say about the age, right? The age the age of fighters is something that gets you know the way it's perceived is so different. Jose Aldo is seen as this old man, right? right. He's thirty three. <laughs> Gilbert Burns is seen as this, like this young up and comer, and he's also thirty three, yeah, right? Crazy. It's, just like, it's crazy, isn't you it? Know, it's because Aldo's yeah. been around for donkey's years, but he, he was around, you know, for the WC. He was a champion in the WC. The amount, yeah. the amount, the amount of mileage this guy's had on his career is it's it's crazy, and I think that's just a testament to his his uh, set of skills that he has. And and I mean, coming off the the fight card we recently had, where the bantamweights were on show, th- this is just so good for the division. I mean, you know, for example, if Aldo did win the belt, it sets up some huge matchups going forward for the the rest of the division. We'd probably see um, Aljamain Sterling facing Aldo. So. Who knows? But yeah, yeah, no. The, this this fight card's awesome. We're we're not we're not even. We've still got two more fights left to break down. The next one, which is another championship fight, and is another, another one, and another one, and a, and a rematch as well. Another rematch is um, Volkanovski versus Holloway two. This one is a is another great matchup as well, and I'm really excited to break this down with you, Lewis. Obviously, the so yeah, I mean, the first fight was quite uh, was was competitive, um, and Holloway did you know lose his uh, UFC featherweight title. Um, Volkanovski, you know, this is his first title defense. There, there hasn't been a whole lot of time between um, their, their last fight, and they haven't fought anybody else since. So normally, when that happens, it doesn't it sort of doesn't fare well for the person who lost the first fight. But Max Holloway, Max Holloway is one of those fighters that has a very modular game, and he's able to kind of he's able to kind of adapt to his opponents, and he gets better as the fight goes on, which was kind of evident in the in the last fight with Volkanovski. How do you see this fight going down, Lewis? Between between the two, you know, this was a really interesting one for me. So I am a huge Max Holloway fan, right? I love his persona outside the cage. I love his fight style in the cage. I've got a Max Holloway Reebok t-shirt. That's how real I keep it, right? I love his haircut um, as well. You see his haircut? I, I love his hair. If you see, well, <laughs> even my hair is looking like his hair right now. That's how much I'm a Max Holloway fan. I've grown. No, I love him. He's a great personality. He's great for the sport, and he's a great fighter. And we've seen, you know, the evolution of this guy over the years. In 2019 was a rough year for him, right? Obviously, he, he had the defense against Frankie Edgar, but he also, you know, had the failed bid to go up to 155 uh, against Poirier and then obviously lost his belt back in December. First fight they had in, at 245. Uh, I, I was watching it in uh, on holiday. I was in Istanbul, right? And I was watching the fight and I was anxious and I was nervous. And, it, you know, it was early in the morning and I was rooting for Holloway. And it's funny what your emotions can do to you when you're watching a fight because you can watch a fight mm. and the guy that you want to win and you'll tell yourself it's a lot closer than it is, right? Yes, yeah. And that's what happened in this fight. I agree, yeah. You, you know, I watched it and I was I was like, it's competitive to the end. I watched the fight back again this week ahead of the show mm-hmm. and, it's Sophie, and it wasn't even close. It, it wasn't even close, right? I mean, and and initially I thought, you know, maybe Max took round four and maybe took took five. No, it was a shutout. It was a shutout. The, the just obviously was well publicized, the number of leg kicks that were thrown and, and landed by Volkanovski, it just disrupted Max's rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Holloway is a volume fighter. He likes to slow cook his opponents. That style requires, you know, inherently requires you to be advancing on your opponent. Now, with the leg kicks, he was constantly getting backed up. It was disrupting his rhythm. He couldn't advance and put forward the pressure. 
it was a great strategy by Volkanovski and it just completely took Max out of his game. In the rare occasions where Max actually did advance, he did have success in, in the fight, right? He, he managed to land on Volkanovski. You know, he's obviously the much taller opponent, has a, has a good reach. Is there a more underrated or underappreciated champion that you have seen than Alex Volkanovski? Oh, well, yeah, I think at the moment he's definitely, he's definitely up there in terms of underappreciated and he comes out of the 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 guys down in in new zealand he spits the coaching sorry between eugene behrman of city kickboxing and his coach that's uh, based in australia and he has this he i think at the beginning he was kind of labeled as this kind of brawler you know this kind of walk forward you know hits very hard and i think he he kind of self-identifies as that he kind of you know talked about his career a previous career as a, a athletic career as a rugby player and the fact that he used to weigh you know 200 plus pounds uh it depends who you ask if you asked Joe Rogan it was 487 pounds <laughs> yeah if you asked Joe Rogan, he he weighed the equivalent of a a, a whale and then if you ask yeah. anybody else he weighed you know he was just a, you know he weighed somewhere in this sort of region in the highway um but yeah, yeah he 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 um which is almost uh, equivalent to a whale as well. But anyway, he... he, he <laughs> Corona, <laughs> Corona 20. <laughs> yeah. But it's... um He... Where where it kind of turned for him, for at least for me anyway, was the Jose Aldo fight. So when he when he fought against Jose Aldo and he was, you know, he showed his kind of growth in, in, in terms of like the kind of the defensive responsibility and the kind of, you know, mixing up of takedowns, leg kicks, um, striking, being defensively responsible, exit in the pocket... And doing all that stuff that you know, you know, the city kickboxing guys are kind of are kind of known for at the moment. It was kind of it, I was very interested to see how he was going to match up with with Max Holloway. And you're right, uh, you know, I, at the beginning of the, of the how I introduced it, I said it was competitive, but that was the that was the kind of narrative coming out, and I think that was actually a result of how much uh, the fans love Max Holloway and how they kind of haven't really seen him be outstruck or outpointed like that. Um, it was kind of like a little bit jarring to kind of see that this this rematch is interesting, and as I said, it's I'm kind of anxious because I, I would have liked for Max to have taken another fight um, because because of how the first fight looked. I don't know if he's had enough time to kind of make the changes and adjustments that he might need in order to make this fight a bit more competitive. He did start to go towards the body in the end because 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 of the way Volkanovski was angling off and being defensively responsible, it made him very hard to hit as he was exiting and leaving the pocket. And obviously, said as you said as well, the leg kicks were kind of making it difficult as well. So then Max changed it up and started going for the body instead, and that he had a bit more success doing that. So I wonder how much is that that's going to play into uh, play into the game planning. But yeah, this is a fantastic matchup. I'm just I, like I said, I just wish that perhaps. Volkanovski was fighting someone like a Chan Sun Jung and Max had a had a fight in between this to, to kind of grow and develop a bit more and kind of get that confidence back because as you said he had a tough year last year I mean he he, he had a fight he had an absolute war with Poirier uh, where he you know fell short winning a uh, becoming a double champ and he, then he lost his title after after a successful defense against Frankie Edgar. Yeah, I, I love the analysis of and and like you, like you point out in these situations where there's a rematch immediately after the first match, it very rarely does does the the result turn out any differently. I, I mentioned earlier, a fighter can get to four and 0, 5 and 0 in the UFC and they fly under the radar. Volkanovski, his his competition has increased every time. Mm-hmm. You know, he fought Chad Mendes. Then he fought Aldo, then he fought Holloway. I mean, that is like progressional up the rankings, right? And you, you know, once you've beaten Aldo and Holloway in that division, it's like you, there's not really anywhere else to go. So he's proven now. He, you know, he's solidified, he's certified, right? Certainly. The questions about him are not the same. He's certain. The questions around him are not the same questions you're gonna have around, you know, a Piotr Young around strength of schedule. And I think um, I think just by the by his personality and his nature, he's not flashy, maybe he's not well known to the majority of fans. He has flown under the radar, and, it, and as a result, he doesn't maybe get the recognition he deserves. Mm. So, yeah, I, I think uh, I think you should go ahead and make your pick on this one. <laughs> okay, um, I'm gonna say that Volkanovski um, he walks away with a unanimous decision, and uh, it's even more convincing uh, than the first time round. That's kind of my pick. I think I think his game plan and strategy was so thorough. And he he really did his homework on Max. Really did his homework on Max. And I think that kind of showed in the fight. Um, and I think it's going to be more of the same. 
Um, and then I think this will lead to a move up in weight for Max Holloway up to lightweight, um, a bit more permanent one. Um, that's kind of how I see That's how I see it. That's my pick. Very interesting stuff. And, you know, I've gone back and forth over the result of this one, right? Um, I've taken everything into consideration. Um, and what I think we're going to see, Max Holloway reminding people of just how elite he is. I think he is going to make the changes in this fight, right? I think what's, what's going to be different is that he's going to be more aggressive coming forward, right? He's going to back Volkanovski up, and which will mitigate those leg kicks, right? Obviously, it's very hard to throw a leg kick if you're moving backwards. Holloway may have been reluctant in that fight based off some of the damage he took in the Poirier fight. I don't know what it was causing him to be like that, but he didn't have the same sort of, the same sort of forward pressure. Maybe it was just a case of Volkanovski uh, unsettling him early with the leg kicks. Anyway, this time out, I think Holloway is going to pressure more. I think he's going to start to ramp it up around round two, round three, as we've seen him do it in, in other fights. And I think he's going to walk away with a decision victory, regain that title. So Max Holloway by decision. Nice, man. Okay. All right, so... so We'd finished recording the episode and we were, we were pleased with how it turned out. We were really excited about the fights and we got to break down the main event between Usman and uh, Gilbert Burns. And then over the weekend, I guess we started hearing that uh, Gilbert Burns had tested positive for coronavirus mm. and had subsequently been removed from the card. Um, and the rumor mill started churning and Jorge Masvidal was sort of the first name on everybody's lips. Mm-hmm. Now, a couple of weeks back, when they were trying to make Usman versus Masvidal, Masvidal had had said that you know the UFC weren't paying him what he wanted, and therefore he wouldn't take the the, the, the welterweight title fight. So the chances of the UFC coming to an agreement with Masvidal over this fight on short notice just didn't seem likely. Right. And uh, so I, I was really anticipating the fight being scrapped, but all the parties concerned managed to come to an agreement that suited everybody. And lo and behold, Monday morning, it was confirmed that we were now going to have a new main event of Usman, the champion, versus Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. So if, what was going through your mind when you initially saw the uh, the, the fight being called off? Yes, yeah, I mean, the same as you. I thought that, um, I just thought they'd scrap the main event and then push uh, Max Max and Volkanovski up to the main event um, instead. And, and yeah, like you said as well, the, the fact that Gamebred had kind of had this, you know, ongoing dispute, quite vocal, quite public uh, dispute ongoing with the UFC about pay. And you didn't really think, you thought they would just let him hang out to dry, really. Um, and then and then hopefully he would, you know, sort of come back in a return fight, maybe against the winner of uh, Usman Burns or, or perhaps a Colby Covington or something like that. But what ended up transpiring, like you said, is you know the MMA gods, you know, like uh, uh, Burns and um, I was really looking forward to that matchup, Burns and and Usman. It was a really uh, interesting matchup because you know they, we, as we discussed, they were training partners and you know they sort of negated each other in terms of the, the wrestling and the, the jiu-jitsu. The MMA gods have smiled down on us and uh, they rep- they replaced you know probably a better matchup, a more a more you know a more exciting matchup i guess in, in um uh, Jorge Masvidal and Gamebred you know true to his name steps in on 6 days notice to fight your champion and, and equally it's worth giving respect as well the fact that Usman has taken this challenge as well taken a fight with Gamebred as well on 6 days notice that's, that's worthy of a uh, big respect as well absolutely man it takes a lot to step up on short notice he has the title of the BMF the baddest motherfucker in the in the UFC yeah. and this really is a, a bad motherfucker move right stepping up on short notice is something that we we give fighters a lot of credit for um but in such a high profile spot you know your first title shot mm. it, it really is a different level of um of self belief and and opportunism because he could lose it, he, you know, he had a bunch of leverage. Really, he had, you know, had the bad, 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 baddest motherfucker belt. Uh, he's on this free fight win streak where he's been absolutely blasting fools. You know, he's got the win from Till. He had the win from uh, over Askren, and lastly, just the the, the win. Um, you know, finishing Nate Diaz, and he was riding high, and he had a lot of leverage. And to step on and fight the champion on such short notice. Uh, in and most would agree, I think most critics would agree that you know Usman is a quite a you know bad matchup. I know we're going to get into the breakdown, but Usman is a bad matchup for Masvidal. Um, if 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 past his prologue, he's 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 kind of struggled against strong wrestlers or grapplers. So mad respect to both fighters for 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 uh, giving the fans uh, uh, what's what's set to be an amazing fight. 
Absolutely. And I mean, so for context, this is Jorge Masvidal's uh, 49th professional fight, mm-hmm. right? So to, to be uh, attaining his first title shot this late in his career, it really speaks to his longevity and, you know, the grind that he's put into the sport. Yeah. And it really would be the greatest story in, in the, the history of the sport, in my opinion, if he could somehow uh, walk away from Yaz Island, uh, Abu Dhabi, as the welterweight champion under these circumstances. I mean, yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, this would be a fantastic feat. Like you said, quite rightly, he's been in the game for a long time. Uh, he was fighting under the banner, you know, the sort of the street fights under under Kimbo Slice. May, may uh, rest in peace. And he, and he's had a lot of iterations throughout his career. He's kind of had a, you know, he was a split decision king for a while. Well, not the king, but he lost a lot of split decision. And he had a lot of losses and he was kind of going through this weird stint. And then he's, and he's had a lot of, um, you know, these streaks where he's, you know, he's absolutely had glimmers of title, championship potential basically um and you wonder you know is this have the stars aligned and 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 can he and can he capture that belt this saturday it really would be something special you know he's one of those characters right uh he's he's a fans fighter right and for the longest time he was the guy that if you really knew the sport you was you were a fan of him but just what he's done the last year has really catapulted him to be one of the biggest stars and arguably the biggest active star in the sport right because in the absence of connor uh who who is there that that sort of has transcended in the last year like like uh masvidal i don't think there's anybody he would only be rivaled by well nate diaz was inactive but and then he he beat nate so yeah yeah i think he's he's, he's definitely cemented himself as a, as a as a hot commodity in the ufc so we can agree this is a big g move for masvidal and like you said similarly it's a big undertaking for us to take because sh- he's also taken the fight on short notice so props to both guys so let's uh, let's get into the the matter at hand and, and let's talk about how we see this this fight playing out. Maybe Usman was not planning on utilizing his wrestling much against against Gilbert Burns Gilbert Burns abilities on the ground. So do you think this this new matchup changes that for for Usman? I do think so. Yeah, I think he'd be he'd be best served to kind of um, do what Kamara Usman does best, and it's as mixing as wrestle boxing style. It's a uh, pressure against the fence um, and kind of I guess you could call it spamming spamming because. Um, Jorge Masvidal has really good wrestling defense. Like, don't he actually has very good takedown defense? But what ends up happening is his his striking game can kind of be stifled um, when uh, he comes across uh, good grapplers or wrestlers that are able to kind of you know keep on you know doing lots of attempts, uh, keep on uh, trying to take him down. Um, and we saw that in the Maya fight. We've seen that in uh, in other fights as well that he's had. Uh, he hasn't been able to achieve success. You would think that Usman uh, is going to you know, try and lean on his, a uh, bit more on his wrestling, you know, at least compared to what he did in his last fight with Covington. Correct. Yeah. I mean, for, for Masvidal, one of the tools that he's, he's gone to uh, repeatedly throughout his career, and it was really on display in the Nate Diaz fight was that body kick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a vicious body kicker. And and that is really what laid the foundations um, in, in the Nate Diaz fight to, to, to end the fight the way it did. In mixed martial arts, the, the threat of takedowns is so prevalent with the body kick that if you're, if you're concerned that, uh, about being taken down it's not a kick that you'll go to often mm-hmm. and i wonder if you know usman's ability wrestling ability is going to prevent mazadel from throwing that kick and and therefore stifling one of his most um effective weapons what's interesting to me is that if you watch jorge masvidal he gets he gets labeled as kind of a a brawler because of his background you know he 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 you know, he, where he came from in terms of the street fights with under Kimbo Slice. And he's always been kind of like a, a cool customer, but he, he's been kind of painted with a bit of a, like a, a brawler, I guess, style. What he's really, really good at, and we've seen that in his last three fights, is he's he's been able to kind of set set up his opponents very well or and figure out um, a way, particularly in his last three, how to finish the fight as well. So do it with some sort of finality. Um, I wonder... Because he was so vocal about fighting Usman, um, and you know early on, and he seemed very confident. The, you know, the rest of the world kind of thought, "Well, this is a terrible matchup. Why, why take the fight with Usman? Like that just doesn't make sense. You should be fighting McGregor. Um, that's the bigger payday." But he, he did, he, you know, he, he did, he did sort of talk a little bit about fighting McGregor. But he was very keen on getting that um, Kamara Usman fight. So I do wonder if there's something he sees there, uh, an opening or something, you know, the Ben Askren knee easily KO of the year, but that was all set up like, and he'd been practicing that KO, uh, that, that, that finish, that sequence, you know, all throughout camp. It's something that he saw early on. So I wonder if there's something that he sees in Usman's game 
that he 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 can exploit and maybe even potentially get a finish. That's something that I'm that's that's interesting to me and something to watch out for. I think. Sure, Masvidal and his team have extensively workshopped a plan to, to take on Usman. Uh, you know, just taking a fight on such short notice when you're cutting 20 pounds in a matter of six days, you know, the effect that's going to have on Mazda, I'm also concerned about because mm-hmm. I'm, while he's a veteran who, in my recognition, has never missed weight, and, you know, especially now he's at welterweight coming up from 155, he's not prone to missing weight. He's not a huge 170er, but I still feel like the travel and, and the weight cut might be a detriment uh, to Masvidal's preparation. Of course, six days is never going to be ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then conversely, you've, you could hear people say, or you could you could understand the, the viewpoint that being on short notice actually means that you don't get a chance to overthink it and you're just going to go in there and, and sort of fight on instinct, which... Mm-hmm. Somebody like Masvidal, with his extensive experience, like like I said, 48 professional fights, maybe just what he needs, right? Just go in there and do what he's been doing his whole life. Usman has, what, 17 fights in total? Is it something something, Correct. something like that? It's around there. Yeah, around there. Yeah. You know, he's he, he's a lesser of experience. Like you said, this is this will be Jorge Masvidal's nearly 50th fight in, in mixed martial arts. And he's, God knows how many fights he's had on the streets. He's a, he's a, cool, he's a cool customer. He knows... He knows what he's doing. He figures out his opponent in the cage. I wonder, you know, Kamaru Usman, I know he's the champion. He's been, he's been able to do it relatively, relatively early in his career. I wonder, does the who serves, the, you know, the short turnaround and change of opponent? You know, from what you're saying, I think you'll kind of agree with me in that I think this serves Jorge Masvidal a bit better. Granted, he hasn't had the training camp like uh, Usman has, but in terms of game planning and figure out your opponent in the in the you know in the cage i think i think jorge has the upper hand there being short notice that does serve masvidal more than it would usman i think usman's getting a completely different fighter now and he's gonna have to fight a different fight than what he's been preparing for yeah that's going to be a very interesting dynamic seeing the level of preparation that each fighter can bring into it but yeah absolutely if it's if it's a a case of instinctive fighting and you know going to what you already know then i I, there's no doubt in my mind that masvidal has the upper hand as the, the vastly more experienced of the two men all right so we pride ourselves over here at Four Yogs of, of making a very well-informed, thought-out picks. We usually spend a lot of time researching and, and trying to come up with the best pick possible. With this fight, we haven't had a lot of opportunity to really sit down and break break down the uh, the technical intricacies of it. Maybe I am getting swept up in a bit of the emotive situation around George Masvidal getting called up last minute um, and everything he's done in his career and the significance of it. I think back to UFC 196 when Nate Diaz got called in short notice to fight McGregor in mm-hmm. on 11 days notice and he went in and secured that famous victory and these are the these are the the things that we love I think of our uh, Michael Bisbing going against say, Luke Rockhold yeah say yeah that's that's another crazy one isn't it yeah at UFC 199 and, and winning his uh the, the middleweight championship you know and they're the great stories I mean they're they're the rocky stories they're the underdog coming in and overcoming the odds to, to secure the victory that no one thought possible with that being said Masvidal finds himself in a similar situation. I think this is going to bring the dog out in, in Masvidal. I think he knows that this might be his last, you know, his one and only chance at a, a UFC championship, which I think given the division and given where he is in his career, it's very possible it could be. And I think he knows that this is this is uh, his opportunity to take. I'm expecting him to put it all on the line in the first couple of rounds and, and look to stop Kamaru Usman uh, because I don't think his chances are going to improve as the fight goes on. I think Jorge Masvidal is going to beat Kamaru Usman. Yeah, I think he's going to beat beat him by TKO in the second round. Ooh, okay. I expect dirty elbows on the inside when Usman tries to clinch him against the cage. I think we're going to see all of the all of the street Jesus magic come out on this one. So, if, <laughs> so I'm going out there. I know he's a three to one underdog, but I'm going for Jorge Masvidal by second round TKO. Now, I guess that, I guess that just leaves me, doesn't it? So I would love it. I would love just like you. I, th- I feel I was when this first was announced. I was kind of, I was kind of swept up in the emotion, and I, I'm a, I'm a massive uh, Jorge Masvidal fan. Um, I think he's a, uh, he, yeah, absolutely. He's in, he's very, he's one of the very few uh, highly instinctual fighters. Like he's, just, he just has that. He, well, he's game bred. He has that. He has that innate ability. He has that dogginess, you know, which is why I think he, in definitely in these types of circumstances, I think he'd be, he'd be an excellent pick. However, just, you know, in the spirit of competition to make it a bit more exciting, I think that Kamara Uthman 
He's going to, again, show why he's the, he's a problem in the 170 division. He'll have some difficulty early on, but I'm going to say, like, as the rounds progress, Kamaru Usman is going to be able to kind of have his way a little bit with the in terms of the wrestling and being able to mix it up with Jorge and get, and get him down. Obviously, I don't know what Jorge's schedule has been like in terms of training and, and, and cardio and conditioning, but I think that's going to play a factor. Yeah, I think Kamaru Usman is probably going to be able to find a way to mix in his wrestling, you know, making uh, you know Masvidal think about his hands a little bit and then mix it in and, you know, try and spam him with wrestling attacks and ultimately control him on the floor. It's not going to be an easy test by any stretch, but I'm going to say Kamaru Usman by uh, decision. I can't argue with your logic on that one, right? Given the, the, the matchup. And I mean, looking at Usman's record, he's gone five rounds in his last four fights. He's great over five rounds. He doesn't run out of steam and he keeps going. So I think given, given the short uh, notice nature of this fight, it definitely makes sense for that pick. Um, like I said, for me, I think Masvidal being um, opportunist that he is, He's going to go out there and and unload hell on Usman <laughs> for the first ten minutes, yeah. and try and get him out of there. Yeah, I'm super excited, man. In my heart of hearts, would I like to see Jorge win and then set up a potential matchup with, you know, with with Covington or you know someone else like a McGregor? Yeah, that sounds awesome to me. I need to try and figure about this logically. I think I do think Usman's going to win, but like you said, I guess we're going to have to wait and find out. All right, everyone. So look, like I said, we had to do this on the spur of the moment once we found out the fight was called off. So um, any references in, earlier in the episode to Gilbert Burns and Kamara Usman, please discredit those conversations. We hope you're happy with the new main event because we definitely are. All right, everyone, until next time, this has been Four Yogs. I've been Lewis. And I've been Sufian. Till next time. Keep your hands up. 